Welcome to Prairie Dock On Call, made possible by the generous support of Larson Manufacturing and many other corporations and individuals. Their gifts to the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3, provide 100% of the funding for all Prairie Dock programs. Please follow the Prairie Dock on Facebook and YouTube, and go to prairiedock.org for more information on making a charitable gift. Your relationship with your primary care physician is vitally important, but there are other factors which have dramatic, if sometimes subtle, effects on your life. How our place in the world affects our health. Tonight, On Call with the Prairie Doc. Good evening and welcome to On Call with the Prairie Doc. Where we are in the world, physically, emotionally, financially, and socially, may have significant effects on our medical condition. Let's begin with a look at this week's Prairie Doc quiz question. It's a true or false question tonight. True or false, it is the cost of vaccines that prohibit universal coverage. We'll give you the answer at the end of the program. Joining us tonight in studio is Brenda Karch of the Avera Medical Group, Brookings. And remotely via Zoom is Dr. Jennifer, Jennifer Tingley, Chief, Chief Medical Officer, Falls Community Health, City of Sioux Falls. Welcome, ladies. I'm so glad you guys could join us today. Brenda, I want to start with you. Tell us a little bit about your background and what your role is with our clinic. Sure. <clears throat> so I work for the Avera Clinic as their social worker. I have a master's degree in social work. I got it from MSU in Mankato. Um, the coordinated care program is a team of three people. We have a registered nurse, a specialist, as well as me, a social worker there on the team. And we work with patients that have some barriers or challenges that will affect their health. Wonderful. And I have to say that adding that team to our, to our clinic has just made such a huge difference, both for me as a clinician and certainly for the patients. Mm -hmm. So we really appreciate having your skills with us. And Jen, tell us a little bit about your background and, and what you do there at, at the Falls Community Health. Yeah, yep. Hi, thank you. Hello, everybody. Yeah, Jen Tingley. I'm from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, a family practice physician. Um, I work at Falls Community Health, which is a federally qualified community health center, um, and we are housed within the city of Sioux Falls' health department. Um, so I practice primary care down here and get to work with an amazing team of people um, that makes our FQHC a very special place, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, like I said, from here, and I do have a master's degree in public health as well. And that seems like quite a great fit, a master's degree in public health with a federally qualified health clinic. And I'm going to speculate that a lot of our viewers don't really know what a federally qualified health center is and what a valuable role that plays in providing health care for for people in general and especially um, the lower income population. So, so tell us a little bit about federally qualified health centers. Yep, yeah, so uh, we call them for short FQHCs or we also sometimes call ourselves a community health center or a CHC. Um, FQHCs are a branch of the Department of Health and Human Services, so the federal 
the federal program. And and what the, the federal government does is pays money. We have grant dollars that we use to serve our patients. And there are FQHCs across the entire country. Um, and so here in South Dakota, you know, we'll often think about a Sanford clinic or an Avera clinic, but most of those FQHCs across the, across the state are independent. They're located usually in smaller, um, very rural parts of the state, um, usually pro, you know, providing primary care, but many of us will often have dental or psychiatric services. Sometimes there's a specialist thrown in um, there in the mix, but we do provide services for anybody uh, regardless of their ability to pay. And so we offer a sliding fee for our patients and, and it depends on uh, their annual income as well as how many household members there are in their family. And that is such a valuable service. I mean, I think that across the state we have people who have um, income limitations and what they can do, but I'm, I'm sure in Sioux Falls you probably have more than your fair share of that. Um, so I think before we launch too deep in, ladies, I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit about those social determinants of health. I think that's the focus tonight of all the things that can impact people um, and really have a big impact on uh, how healthy they are, what their risks are, and everything. So, um, Brenda, I want to start with you. What, what comes to your mind when we talk about social determinants of health? Sure. So, um, of course, like you just said, it's barriers to health care. So right away, I think of income. You know, I feel money makes the world go round. And, you know, if you don't have any money, you don't, you don't have food on your table, you can't pay for your medical, you can't pay for your housing, um, you can't have transportation to get to the doctor appointment. So income, in my opinion, is certainly the big one. I, I think we all agree that income underpins so many of the challenges that mm -hmm. people face and staying healthy and staying well. Mm -hmm. It's not just about health care, it's about wellness. Mm -hmm. And that is a whole lot more than keeping my blood pressure under control or my diabetes under mm -hmm. control or not having a heart attack or getting my mammograms or mm -hmm. any of that kind of thing. So what, what do you have to add to that? Um, what thoughts yep. do you have about what things provide barriers? Yep. You know, and, and I think you're right. I think when we talk about social determinants of health, we do think about income, um, a, a person's ability to have medical insurance. But but other things that are really relevant to that are, is English a person's first language? Is a language barrier an issue? Um, you mentioned transportation. Um, there are just a ton of other health issues, mental health, substance abuse, those sorts of things, trauma that maybe has happened to, to somebody when they were younger, and that affects their ability to interact, um, not only with their healthcare provider, but just in the world at large. Yeah, I, I think that sometimes we underestimate the role, particularly that trauma can play. Um, if you have that trauma history, your, your confidence in the world around you, your sense of safety in the world around you, your ability to, to make that connection with your primary care doctor and um, to keep those appointments can all be very much influenced. Mm -hmm. And you know, one of the things that I think um, we're kind of increasingly recognizing is uh, the impact that childhood trauma has on you 
through your whole life and how that increases your risks. Mm -hmm. So, Brenda, do you want to kind of um, fill people in on what sorts of things we recognize as traumatic experiences that somebody might have as a child? Mm -hmm. So certainly, you know, you right away you think of abuse and neglect, uh, your home life, if you grow up in poverty, um, any, any sorts of those that certainly affects anybody. Yeah, so. and, and certainly if you have a parent who has a substance mm -hmm. abuse problem, mm -hmm. uh, divorce, mm -hmm. there's often uh, trauma that children will experience as divorce mm -hmm. or death in a family. Mm -hmm. That's another yeah. uh, big issue. So um, what kinds of uh, consequences might we see in, in people as they age and go through their life with those things? Jen, do you want to speak yeah. to that? Yeah, absolutely. So what we know is that the more adverse child events, uh, childhood events or ACE, uh, we, we believe that people may struggle more with mental health disorders. So we'll see more depression, more anxiety, um, often will have a, a substance use issue of their own if they were raised in a household um, that had substance using parents. Um, we do see an uh, inability to perhaps finish school. So lower, um, lower education, which then leads to health literacy. And, and so we'll often see um, some of those more mental health, substance use issues um, rise as a person is dealing with more of those adverse childhood events. And, and even physical health issues can, can stem and flow from those chronic stressors. And one of the areas that I think we, we really see this is in the racial disparities in health. Um, certainly that can be related to those adverse um, childhood events. If you're in a racial group where you have a higher incarceration rate, then you have more stress on those, those children. But even just the effects of racial disparities in our, in our country in general can certainly add to the stress. And the, um, probably the, the biggest example in my mind of that is the disparities in death rates in communities of color uh, with the current COVID pandemic. I mean, that's a really big thing. And um, do you want, what comments do you have there? Yes, I know, I was just absolutely, I think what we're seeing is that the mortality rate um, is much, much higher for persons that are of color compared to, to Caucasians. and. And we're also seeing um, those that are being hospitalized. It's disproportionately affecting persons of color. Um, and, and some of those long range effects that we're seeing when somebody is diagnosed with COVID, um, the stroke risk um, seems to be higher for those, for those persons of color. Um, it really has been um, a challenge uh, to, to, to take care and to try and understand what exactly is happening. Yeah, I think that there's so many factors that play into that from the chronic stresses to the um, to all the consequences of those uh, experiences with maybe not as trusting a relationship uh, with their primary care provider or with the healthcare mm -hmm. system in general. And you don't have to go very far back in history to find examples of mistreatment on the parts of healthcare uh, towards communities of color. There's a very ugly history there. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah. it's really important that we all recognize that and, and try to make amends so that we can build those relationships. Um, 
What do you think about ER presentations in or, or presentations for emergency care or urgent care in communities of color during this pandemic? Do you do you have any sense of of any differences there that we're seeing? Well, I, I do think one of the things that you just hit on is that mistrust and and I think sometimes what we're finding is that people are delaying that entry into emergency care um, or just delaying entry into primary care. And, and so what we're seeing is that perhaps this disease, pro, you know, it has, it has progressed to the point where there's now some serious consequences that are happening. Um, and then I think there also is a, a perception too within, within the medical community that sometimes persons of color aren't to be trusted with with their presentation or their history, something that they've been saying, or or sometimes they're very stoic in their presentations. And so we think that they're actually fine, but don't do the same type of assessment that we would be doing for somebody that's not of color. And so we have to really make sure that we're paying attention to that and understanding that that may be um, a major factor in the success that a person has in, in treating this. And I, I think too that um, there's so many cultural differences when we have a uh, workforce that is predominantly associated with one culture, we don't always recognize how cultural influences affect the way somebody might present or when they might present or how they um, how they experience healthcare and experience mm -hmm. their own symptoms. So mm -hmm. it's it's a really important topic that we as a healthcare community mm -hmm. need to be paying more attention to. Mm -hmm. So Yeah. Yeah. I think can I just add one of the one of the things that was very interesting um, back in the spring when COVID was first kind of ramping up, especially here in Sioux Falls, we were seeing that spike from Smithfield. Um, and that is a very um, high proportion of folks that are not um, Caucasian. And what we were noticing is while we have been telling people, if you are positive, you need to isolate. And we had talked about perhaps setting up hotel rooms or places that uh, somebody could go if they wanted to isolate. But that was so far removed from the culture of many people mm -hmm. that, that they're going to stay in their household with their family members because they don't know any different and they couldn't mm -hmm. imagine being alone in a hotel room. And so we had to be very respectful of that and to and to give them the right guidance then on how to do that safely, safely. Mm -hmm. within their own yeah. home. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's another very important mm -hmm. cultural factor there. Mm -hmm. In order to really understand how social determinants impact our health, we need to be able to gauge and test for the effects. Income is, is perhaps, you know, the, the most important social determinant. Uh, that we know of. Again, it, it's um, certainly not necessarily directly causal, um, uh, but certainly um, uh, related. Well, the, the conditions in, in which people live um, and, and work um, to include things like access to health care, education system, um, environmental condition safety, uh, the neighborhoods, available of food, availability of food, those kind of things uh, are all important and linked to um, a lot of the disease conditions that we see today, uh, such as obesity, heart disease, uh, diabetes, mental health, those kind of things. I tend to think, though, that one of the most important things um, would really be to uh, focus on the culture and, um, and education around physical fitness. 
You know, every generation since 1920 has been less fit than the generation before. The providing a universal access to health care is uh, certainly a positive, but it's really not sufficient, as I just mentioned, to, to optimize the health of populations. Uh, and so there are, um, th there are lots of efforts. Uh, the WHO, World Health Organization, has uh, focused efforts and has uh, for over, uh, over a decade now uh, looking at uh, uh, ways to incentivize countries to uh, reduce those health inequities um, and, and also reduce costs of health care, improve access, those kind of things. There's quite a bit of evidence that links uh, uh, wealth and, and disparity of income specifically with health. Uh, the interesting thing that I don't know that we've uh, established is whether that's uh, directly causative or whether, um, whether that's um, you know, merely correlated in some way uh, and, really, and really related to other, other factors. But certainly that uh, um, growing body of evidence uh, suggests that, that that's the case, and particularly as we compare the wealth gap in certain countries and their health outcomes to our own. There are several screening instruments uh, to help assess patient social needs um, and to explore some of their, their other social determinants of health. Um, one of my favorites is the American Academy of Family Physicians has a, a screening tool, and there are a couple of others uh, out there. And although they're relatively short, 10 to 15 questions in length, uh, they do require quite a bit of time, and they're also questions that you uh, don't necessarily always see as part of a normal uh, visit interaction. And so there are uh, some challenges with incorporating that into your uh, standard office visit. It's so good to hear what they're doing across the state and what kinds of things we're thinking about because one of the most important factors to me is that these are issues that present in every community. They, they may be a little different, they may have a different flavor, but these are issues that we see everywhere, everywhere in the U.S. and everywhere in South Dakota, mm -hmm. everywhere in the world really, but of course we're really only familiar with the situation in the U.S. and especially mm -hmm. in South Dakota. So, um, One of the issues that we had kind of mentioned a little bit prior to, uh, prior to the roll-in here is uh, the idea of adverse childhood effects and substance abuse and how having a parent that has a substance abuse issue can increase your own risk of substance abuse and one of the issues that always comes to mind for me is how do we stop that cycle what do we do uh, to try to intervene and improve uh, the outcomes for kids and adults and um, I understand you guys have some substance abuse treatments available in your clinic can you tell us a little bit about that uh, yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, one of the things I'm really proud of at our clinic is that we provide medication-assisted treatment here. Um, we have a, a group of family medicine residents who come through training, and it is now required as part of their training that they take a special course in, in prescribing a medication-assisted treatment program, which is essentially medications that are used to treat opioid dependency. So we've heard a lot about the opioid epidemic. And, and there are medications out there that work very, very effectively to treat those, that sort of substance use disorder. And so we have um, over 20 of our providers down here at Falls Community Health do prescribe those medications, 
We also have a full-time chemical dependency counselor here. So she makes up a really important part of our team. And then we also have three mental health counselors. And so combining all of that work together, the medication, the counseling, um, we can really kind of hammer in and, and treat that, that substance use disorder for patients that are interested. That's fantastic because substance abuse, be it opioids or alcohol or marijuana or, you know, really in a similar vein, gambling addictions and mm -hmm. all kinds of addictions, food addictions, you yep. know, it has such a big impact mm -hmm. on a person's health, um, on keeping a job. Uh, on showing up on time. Um, it's just such a huge part of somebody's wellness. Mm -hmm. So do you have any thoughts to add there? No, um, I just wanted to touch on here. Um, I know you're in Sioux Falls, but here in Brookings, you know, we do have some wonderful um, counseling agencies in town here too. Um, I know there is a CD counselors as well. Yeah. And so we have some really good support up here too. Yeah. And I think that there is support out there, but sometimes we have to be kind of creative in helping people mm -hmm. access it. I know that um, there's a program out West River that we've used that they'll do some telemedicine type things and try to help people that mm -hmm. way. So there are resources mm -hmm. um, and it's a it's a huge scourge mm -hmm. that, that we really need to be working on mm -hmm. to help our kids and our families in general. So one of the issues that I think um, often ties into that is homelessness. You know, it ties in so hard to um, mental health issues, poverty, um, addiction, and that's probably when this airs is a particularly pertinent topic because uh, when this airs it's January mm -hmm. and it's cold out mm -hmm. and um, every year we hear about people who die from exposure in mm -hmm. the winter particularly in Sioux Falls mm -hmm. which is such a horrible tragedy mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. um, what uh, what kind of resources do you have there, Jen? What do you have any any comments, any ideas to add there? Yeah, no, I do. Um, so we're I mean we are fortunate here in Sioux Falls. We do have um, a number of agencies that are there to provide shelter and food for those that are homeless. Um, so you know from a from a, a living security standpoint, there are agencies here in town. Um, that we we utilize. Of course, some people choose to not to not stay there, and and maybe there have been some issues why they can't stay there. Um, but I also want to just hit on the fact that our clinic and and FQHCs across the country may also receive additional dollars for uh, serving the homeless population. And so our homeless grant that we use here allows a patient to come into the clinic and they pay zero dollars to be seen. And everything that we do here in the clinic, the office visit, the labs, the vaccines, x-ray, that is all covered by our federal dollars. And so financially, there should not be a barrier to somebody coming into the door. Now, sometimes just getting people here is the hard mm -hmm. part. And so we actually have staff that go into our shelters and, and they will be there once a week just to, to see whoever might come in and to do that triage and then determine if they would be somebody that would want to come down to the clinic to be seen here. Um, but we do try and go out and meet people where they're at because there are barriers sometimes just to coming into a medical facility. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, transportation barriers, um, trust barriers, that's such a huge thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know we have had conversations before about transportation issues mm -hmm. for, and you guys often have some creative mm -hmm. uh, ways to help our patients with mm -hmm. that. Can you mm -hmm. speak a little to some of the resources that you tap into there, yeah, Brenda? Sure. So here in Brookings, we're very, very fortunate to have the Volunteer Service Bank. So as long as you're going to a medical appointment, that's free. So that's wonderful. Then we have Beta, um, here our local resource. It's usually about $3 if you call ahead of time. So in Brookings, we're very fortunate to have that. Um, I also cover Del Rapids and Flandreau Clinic as well. Um, and they do not have transportation resources. So it's, um, oh, it's a struggle when a patient has to get down to Sioux Falls. In fact, I worked on that today with the patient and um, we're gonna, she's gonna take the yellow cab down and have to pay some monies to get down there. But mm -hmm. thankfully she can afford to pay the $84 to get back oh, in there. Um, so expensive. Yes, yeah. 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 That's $84 for a lot of people is their, their week's food budget. Exactly. And that's, that's yep. not tenable. Mm -mm. That's really difficult yes. for people. Yeah, it's um, really hard. But I think probably the take home message that I'd like to to send to our viewers is that your community may have some resources mm -hmm. and your mm -hmm. clinic may know mm -hmm. what those resources are to mm -hmm. help you with that process. Yeah. So um, sometimes we're not able to find a workaround. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. That's a weakness in the system, yep. uh, but sometimes we can. Yes. So yeah. that's and we an important keep trying, thing. We so. keep trying, that's right. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that you mentioned, Jen, was uh, immunizations and making immunizations available to those populations. And I can imagine that's particularly important in the population that you serve. Not, I'm a huge believer in vaccinations. I think that's just such a, an important public health step, but uh, in your population, it's probably particularly important. Do you, yes. what thoughts yes. do you have there? Yeah, no, absolutely agree. I mean, when I think about the, the homeless population we serve, um, we have to remember that they are living and sleeping in very tight quarters. And so we worry a lot as flu season approaches and trying to make sure that we're getting as many people vaccinated as possible um, because it, it is very contagious and it just kind of can spread through an entire facility. Um, one of the things that we've been having conversation about is hopefully by January, we're starting to see an uptick in a COVID vaccine um, and trying to make sure that we can get that to the people who really desperately need it. Um, and those are conversations that we need to keep having because as we spoke to earlier in the show, there is mistrust among certain populations. And I think that this vaccine in particular we are going to have to do a lot of education and reassurance that that it is safe and that we are we're just trying to get a universal coverage of this of this vaccine but um absolutely we want to make sure that we're, we're vaccinating all of our folks for flu and hopefully covid and and then obviously our refugees we take all of the new refugees that are resettling into sioux falls and so vaccines are a major part of that that visit and, and ongoing visits that they have here at our clinic. Yeah, I think any kind of a congregate living environment, um, you really worry a lot about uh, any kind of infectious disease. And I, I remember a million years ago before I went to medical school being a nursing assistant in a, in a uh, nursing home and how 
worried everybody was about the lady who had hepatitis. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, now I've been immunized, but that wasn't an option mm -hmm. back then. And uh, how concerned we were about spreading that to other patients and staff and in nursing homes most of those patients at that time had private rooms and mm -hmm. um, now when you're thinking about congregate living and homeless populations or even some of the uh, patients that you dealt with with Springfield where people live in um, many All people yeah, yeah. People, absolutely yep. three generations in one household so it, it wasn't uncommon to have eight or nine people in a household and and how do we keep them safe but obviously getting vaccines for everybody that's in the house is very important yes and and we see that when we're looking at um, families even people who don't have any of these barriers uh, if one person is pregnant, we try to get everybody in the family, mm -hmm. uh, everybody that they come into close contact with to get their flu shot, to get their pertussis booster, because we know that those are important ways to protect both mom and baby. So those are, are big issues across the board for everybody. So, so I think um, let's go to our next roll-in and have some more good information for people. The Great Plains Tribal Chairman's Health Board, based in Rapid City, strives to address the unique challenges of the Native American population. Social determinants influence how our people view healthcare. You know, when you think about it, income, are, it's a very important, it's a social determinant because Income, people are wondering how they're going to eat the next day, what they're going to eat later on. If we don't have income and you want us to put health care at the top of our priority. In talking about social determinants, we also have to make sure that every single person that touches that patient has interaction with that patient has to understand what those social determinants are because they're different with every single um, patient that comes through our doors. So we have to really take a good look at that because that determines the pathway that we're going to do to take care of our patients. You think about low income. We have a lot of our reservations and a lot of our American, um, a lot of our Native Americans live as if we are in third world countries yet. We don't have electricity. We don't have running water, but yet our health needs require us to be able to use a nebulizer to breathe and oxygen to maintain our oxygen levels. But it, how are we gonna use those machines if we don't have electricity? Everything plays a role in healthcare. I think what we need to do to be able to impact healthcare with Native Americans even more so now is to be able to provide accessibility. And accessibility isn't just increasing our clinic hours and being open longer. I think that that means providing avenues to get care that best meets the needs of the people. If it means like going back to what it used to be where providers go to the homes, where they're comfortable, where you can find them. I think that, that we need to do that. Mobile units, um, getting out, getting on the phones. I mean, we have to provide every means of opportunity to be able to reach them. Low income, income ties to education, ties to housing, everything ties together. So you can't just fix one and hope and, and think that we're gonna improve healthcare. There really is no um, one important social factor because everything affects everything.
I think that was so wise what she just said about how everything affects everything and how all of this ties together and how underlying so much of it is poverty. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, food insecurity is a, a big thing and um, you know I think we really don't recognize the scope of that particular problem. I know I think people would be really shocked to understand how much food insecurity and and hunger there is even in a pretty wealthy community like Brookings. Mm -hmm. um, what do you see there Brenda? Mm -hmm. What kinds of, of issues do you see bring up with that? Sure, so certainly I get many calls um, asking for food resources weekly. Um, so obviously the need is there. Um, fortunately, we do have several um, agencies in town that um, do a wonderful job of providing food um, to our patients. Um, so, you know, the, and luckily um, it's not just food, but it's hygiene products too. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's obviously very important too. Um, and so we're very fortunate here. What comments do you have? What do you see there in Sioux Falls, Jen? Uh, no, absolutely. I think, um, you know, we have a, we're fortunate as well. We have a very large food bank here. Um, there are also churches that have come together and do provide weekly um, backpacks or boxes of food mm -hmm. for folks that need it. One of the things that's been very interesting during the COVID pandemic is kids weren't in school and, and those school mm -hmm. breakfasts and those school lunches may have been the healthiest part of those kids' days. And so that was a really important part of the work to get kind of back up and running as fast as we could here within the city because we knew that those kids were relying on the food that they were getting at school but could no longer have because school wasn't in session. And the other thing that really uh, came to light with the, with the pandemic is the amount of people that no longer had jobs and what that led to. Um, they didn't care so much about their medicine. They couldn't put food on the table that night. Um, and so the community has come together and did weekly distributions. Um, just thousands of people were coming through every week to get food. Um, but it is, it is something that providers, medical providers have to keep in mind because when we're asking them to take certain meds, if they can't put food on the table, that, that will always be priority one. Um, and so that sort of questioning of what, what else can I help you with? because there's often so much more that people need instead of just a prescription. Sometimes the prescription is maybe the last thing that they need. I think um, if you don't have healthy food, you can't control your diabetes, you can't control mm -hmm. your blood pressure, you can't, um, you can't address those higher level needs if we're not meeting those basic needs. If kids don't have uh, breakfast, if they don't have lunch, how can they learn when mm -hmm. all they can think about is how hungry their stomach mm -hmm. is or, you know, will my little sister be able to eat tonight? Um, mm -hmm. is, is mom gonna eat tonight or is she gonna give us, she gonna say she's not hungry and, and feed us? instead and and that's a, a terrible thing and a terrible place to be mm -hmm. you know I know that um, a lot of people think of snap as a solution to that do you do either of you happen to know what snap benefits are I mean how much people get as as their supplement for that and it depends on the number of people in your family is my understanding of it okay yeah. so yeah. I don't think it's I mean 
food is expensive, so I don't think it's enough really to cover the whole month. So, you know, it's certainly a great addition, but they still have to come up with that money to pay for more to feed their family. Yeah. You know. And I think that that's an important thing for people to recognize is mm -hmm. that the SNAP program, as I understand it, is meant to be a supplement mm -hmm. and not actually provide right the food so if you're relying on SNAP benefits mm -hmm. you're gonna spend a lot of time hungry mm -hmm. and your family's gonna be hungry and you're going to be buying things that maybe are good cheap calories mm -hmm. um, which of course is if you don't have enough you're going for good cheap calories um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the healthiest food mm -hmm. for you. It's what's filling your belly and mm -hmm. the kids' belly. Mm -hmm. So that's mm -hmm. an important thing to recognize. Mm -hmm. I think I, I just want to throw in something, too. I've, I've seen it highlighted on some of these graphics, but food deserts um, is, is a really important thing to talk about. Uh, here within Sioux Falls, we have neighborhoods who don't have a grocery store within walking distance. And so the, the closest place for anybody to go and get food will either be the Dollar Tree or the gas station. And there's not a whole lot of healthy food choices at either one of those locations. And so recognizing the importance of, of accessibility to food is, is a challenge that we face here in town as well. Yeah, and you know, the gas station is a great place to find snacks, um, but no matter what you're buying, it's probably gonna be a lot more expensive than if you had managed to get to the grocery store mm -hmm. or to the superstore uh, to buy that food. Mm -hmm. So it, um, once again, it all plays in together. If I don't have transportation, um, I can't get to where my money goes the furthest and mm -hmm. gets me the best prices and the best products and it all, all everything affects everything as she said mm -hmm. yeah so um, another issue that you know certainly we see across the board but we see more of when people families have these additional stressors are uh, issues of domestic violence so um, Jen do you want to make some observations about how that affects people's health yep absolutely um, when we just think about you know, if you put yourself in the position of somebody that has either lost their job or they have just a, an enormous amount of medical bills, the stress that that causes and the anxiety that they may be feeling often will be put out in a, in a negative sort of way. And if, if there is that, you know, violent situation, um, what we'll see is that in times of financial stress, um, in job insecurity, health insecurity, that we will start to see more rates of, of domestic violence. And that certainly has been true during the COVID pandemic. Um, people were also home together more than they've ever been. And, and we have definitely seen an increase in the number of calls to, to helpline centers, um, the, the number of visits to ERs for domestic violence assaults. Um, it's a very, very unfortunate part of, of what's been happening. And I know that's been one of the big concerns for kids is, um, you know, the teachers are mandatory reporters. So not only is school maybe the safest place that they are, but it's the place where the problems they're experiencing at home may be recognized uh, and responded to and intervened. So I think that's, you know, again, just another really important, important role. Um, what 
what are your thoughts here, Brenda? Do you have resources um, for people that might be experiencing this mm -hmm. or worried about somebody who's experiencing? Yep, sure. So um, here in Brookings, we do have a domestic violence shelter, um, and then we also have one in Flandreau. So I always kind of keep that in mind. Um, you know, I think they have a limited number of beds, I'm sure. So just to kind of have an idea as to where else besides just here in Brookings that you can go. So we are, again, very fortunate to have a domestic violence shelter here in town. And I believe that there's uh, at least one there in Sioux Falls. Yes. Is that correct, Jen? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah there's, there's multiple. Mm -hmm. um, and I also think that's the, the important part of even a clinic visit. When we get somebody into the clinic, those should be standard questions that we're asking. Do you feel safe at home? Are there guns in the home? Things that could potentially put somebody at risk um, we just want to make that a routine part of our questioning so that it's not a, an off-putting question, but just a standard part of an office visit. And I, I know that all the hospital systems, Avera and Sanford, they do that as well. I've been asked as a patient, do I feel safe in my home? And I think that's it's important we keep asking because they may not tell you the first time or even the second time. But over time, trust develops and, yeah. and hopefully somebody would share something like that. Yeah. Or the 10th time or, or yeah, it's, those yep. are, are very hard things for people to um, admit that they're struggling with that. Um, so it is an important question for us to keep asking and, and um, probably an area that I could do better. I know it's a routine screening question, but it's probably not something that I ask as much as I should because it, it happens, and it happens mm -hmm. across all socioeconomic levels. Mm -hmm. It's not just people who are living in poverty or living in crowded conditions or living on the street, mm -hmm. um, although certainly people on the street may be more vulnerable to violence. Mm -hmm. uh, it's people that live in the $5 million houses that mm -hmm. can be victims of that, mm -hmm. too. So yeah. it's important. It's, and again, it goes back to those adverse childhood experiences. If you grow up in a household, um, it impacts your health mm -hmm. all along for everything. Mm -hmm. So there's another aspect to violence that I think we don't always um, think about when we're thinking about domestic violence, and that's how safe your neighborhood is. Um, you know, we're pretty fortunate here in Brookings. I think we're in a pretty safe community, and I think by and large, Sioux Falls mm -hmm. is a pretty safe community. South Dakota is safer too, but you know, I think there's still areas that people may not feel comfortable, you know, taking a walk after dark. Mm -hmm. What What are your observations there, Jen? Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. There, you know, there are pockets um, within Sioux Falls where you just hear of more of the the shootings, the stabbings, and obviously I wouldn't want my children to go out and ride their bike up and down those streets. And, and as a female, I wouldn't want to go out for a run late in the evening or early in the morning. Um, and so I, the other thing to think about with neighborhoods is how busy are the traffic patterns in that neighborhood. Um, when we think about larger cities, there's a lot of traffic. Um, that's dangerous for kids. It's dangerous for those with breathing conditions. So neighborhood definitely plays a role in, in our overall health, our mental health. I um, mean, it's something that we do have to keep an eye towards. Absolutely. And I, I think that that's an important thing when we, as physicians, say to people, well, you know, you, I, I want you to get more exercise. You know, your, it would help your blood sugar. It would help your blood pressure. It would help your heart. It would help help you to maintain your weight uh, if you could get out there and get more exercise. 
how feasible is that mm -hmm. for that person? You mm -hmm. know, um, maybe they have small children and they're the only person providing care for those small children and you can't leave them alone mm -hmm. long enough to go exercise. Uh, but maybe it's your neighborhood and that you don't have a sidewalk to walk down or, um, you know, you can't get your kids to the park because there's not a park within walking distance mm -hmm. and there's not a backyard for them to go play in. And I think that's a important thing for us to mm -hmm. consider. Mm -hmm. So um, what do you think about... Uh, we talked a little bit earlier about culture and how that can impact our um, wellness overall. So, Brenda, what what are you seeing in in the community about cultural effects? Um, you know, <clears throat> I think of um, you know education. Um, there's always that stereotypical that we always deal with, but. Um, it's certainly um, education, housing, job security, food insecurity. Um, you know, that's what I think off off the top of my head um, about culture in general. Um, you know, again, you know, it, you know the the socioeconomic status of people is certainly a factor into that too. Into that too, mm -hmm. yeah. And language, it's mm -hmm. a few. Are spending a lot of your energy trying to interpret what's going on. That's very mm -hmm. difficult. Mm -hmm. How about you, Jen? Do you have any cultural observations? I'm sure yeah, with the I, population you work with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, about 25% of all of our visits here in our clinic do take place in languages other than English, and so we're a, a pretty diverse community here within South Dakota, which is obviously not all that diverse, but I feel like we have kind of a little pocket here of, of wonderful diversity. Um, the things that I've learned over my years in practice here is you have to have an understanding of what traditional treatments might be used at home, um, any holistic medications or drinks or foods that, that might be used, and to treat that with respect and to say, okay, I think that's wonderful, but why don't we also add in this as a supplement? Um, and then the other thing I, I just always find, it's a bit charming, but also frustrating, is the way that families will often share medications. And so if I run out of this, well, you can have mine. So that might not be the right med for that person, but then it means that you have less. And so um, just having an eye towards what might be happening within the home and an understanding of what have I prescribed that that person's husband or wife, because you may just find that they're they're sharing things, and that <laughs> that's a piece of cultural competency and understanding um, that that we have had to learn down here, and it's something that I think is just something I really appreciate as well. Okay, quick last minute thoughts, Brenda. Um, so. The, the sharing of the meds, I certainly experienced that too with a husband and a wife. So, um, you know, I, I think that's probably everywhere. So, but it is certainly something to keep the eye on. How about you, Jen? Any other last minute thoughts about this topic? Well, I just, I think we as people, we always need to be just understanding of, of how my perception is not going to be the perception of the person that I'm taking care of. Um, and to just kind of try and put yourself in somebody else's shoes and understand how difficult their life may be 
and to treat that with respect and understanding. I love, I like that. That's fabulous. I think th what I would add is that um, we need to look at wellness as more than just what I do in the office, the prescription that I give you, the information that I give you. It's a bigger issue and we as a society need to work on addressing a lot of those issues. And now for the answer to tonight's Prairie Doc quiz question. True or false? It is the cost of vaccines that prohibits universal coverage. And the answer is false. We'll be right back after this. Welcome to your Prairie Doc Library at www.prairiedoc.org. Wherever you live or travel, you and your family can enjoy free and easy access 24 hours a day. Search for a specific topic, browse through the television shows, radio programs, and blog page. You, your family, and friends around the world can learn from physicians and other health professionals answering questions on a variety of medical topics. Visit your Prairie Doc Library today at www.prairiedoc.org. Some health problems are much larger than the healthcare system and can't be fixed by doctors, nurses, hospitals, and the rest of the traditional healthcare team. In our physician peer groups, my colleagues and I often share the agony we feel when sending people out of the emergency room or hospital, knowing that the patient is going right back into the conditions that contributed to their crisis in the first place. Perhaps they couldn't afford their insulin or have no refrigerator in which to keep it cold. Perhaps they're going home with the person who hurt them. Perhaps they don't have a home to go to and are trying to care for their wound while living on the street. These situations are real and they exist in rural areas, small towns, and big cities alike. I often urge my patients to get more exercise and we brainstorm ways to overcome the barriers they face. But options are limited for the person whose neighborhood has no sidewalks or isn't safe to stroll through. We talk about good nutrition and most people know it's best to eat a variety of fresh fruits and vegetables. But what if the only store they can reach is the convenience store which doesn't stock healthy options? Some of my patients come to me having researched their symptoms, and we talk about how to find reliable information on the internet. What happens if they don't have access to the internet? Sometimes I print out educational material, but that has no value for the patient who can't read. Almost everyone has stress in their lives, but for some people the stress is unremitting and severe. They deal with poverty and the attendant evils of housing and food insecurity, with limited education that restricts their options. They lack reliable transportation, which keeps them from school or work or regular health care. They suffer from chronic diseases, racism, and other forms of discrimination while separated from the support of family and community. Research reveals that these chronic stressors have significant adverse effects on the health of not only the individual, but their descendants as well. We have a label for these stressors. They are called social determinants 
and we are increasingly aware that they play an even bigger role in a person's well-being than all the things that healthcare providers do. Protecting and promoting the health of our patients and our communities is a sacred mission. But we need to expand our perspective beyond medicine and surgery and helping one individual at a time. Health is larger than the healthcare system. We each have a role to play in recognizing and reducing the impacts of social determinants for the well-being of our entire community. Big thank you to our guests, Brenda and Jen, for volunteering their time to help us learn more about how our place in the world can have such a dramatic effect on our health care. If you would like more information about this program or to see and hear more episodes of this program, please like and follow us on Facebook and YouTube or visit us at prairiedoc.org. And be sure to look for the podcast of this program, Prairie Doc on Call, wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, if you are traveling outside of our broadcast viewing area, you can tune in to each week's episode on our Facebook page, Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Central Time. That does it for tonight. From all of us here at On Call with the Prairie Doc, until next time, stay healthy out there, people. Useful science-based health information delivered in a respectful and compassionate manner. This is what we all receive from the Prairie Docs. Hello, my name is Dave Hank, and I serve on the board of the Healing Words Foundation. Our organization works to build financial support for Prairie Doc programs. We thank our four Prairie Docs and the many health providers who volunteer their time to answer our health questions. However, significant funding is required to produce and distribute video, radio, and print programs throughout the region. Your donations can help us continue the Prairie Doc legacy. On behalf of the Healing Words Foundation Board, please join us in our mission. Go to prairiedoc.org and click the donate button today. Major funding for On Call with the Prairie Doc has been provided by... Avera is a proud sponsor of On Call with the Prairie Doc on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. Larson Manufacturing is proud to support On Call with the Prairie Doc as it continues to open doors for important medical information. And with the ongoing support of these individuals and institutions, Brookings Health System, Ophthalmology Limited, South Dakota Academy of Family Physicians, Avera Heart Hospital, Fishback Financial Corporation, South Dakota Foundation for Medical Care, Dakota Allergy and Asthma, Vance Thompson Vision, Black Hills Medical Society, Brookings Madison Flandreau District Medical Society, Sioux Falls District Medical Society, Yankton District Medical Society, Aberdeen District Medical Society, Urology Specialists, Orthopedic Institute, 
Physicians Care Sanford Clinic Community Service Committee, Lake Ponset Sailing Academy, Aberdeen Asthma and Allergy, Dakota Bank, South Dakota American College of Physicians, and Swift Health Communications.